Greetings, this is Steiger. Hi there, I'm JP. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lore, is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Steiger, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, my plug is Attack the Block as a Morality Play. I've like really, like I always enjoyed that movie, but I've really come to appreciate it and the lessons it has like during the pandemic. Mm. What, what is that movie from? I'm trying to, like, I'm thinking of a number of movies that I don't think any of them are it. It's like some like inner city British kids on like their block that gets mild spoilers aliened and they're just trying to survive. Yeah, it's John Boyega. It was, it was yes, young John Boyega. It was it was the role that kind of put John Boyega on the map, and you know led to him being in Star Wars. And um, um, I forget her name, but Jodie uh, Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker, yeah, yeah, she's she's in it as well. But yeah, and also like I just uh, I adore the monster design in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That's cool. Yeah, plugged. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, much older movie. Very different movie. They both take place in a defined area. Action verb the noun. Yeah. Movie. And have uh, attack in the name. Yeah. Yep. Or a synonym. Uh, and JP, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I'm JP. Uh, I have nothing to plug, really. I'm, I've been a topic lord on... Multiple previous occasions, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to be Always here. Always a quality lord. <laughs> lord quality. Trying to keep it high. That's right. We do our best. Uh, you ready to start on some, top- some topics? Yeah. Let's jump Let's in. Steiger, your topic is comestibles as fan fiction. I think fan fiction is like a little specific, but just like preparing food or drinks to kind of go along with whatever activity you're participating in. So I guess like most recently I was just watching a movie with friends. We were watching Parasite. So I, I had Korean food for dinner and I was very excited about that. Um, and then talking to one of my friends about it, it reminded me that we had um, like watching like Copa Mundial, like for the, the football one year, we would cook dinner as a fusion of like whatever two play, um, countries were playing each other that day. So that was always exciting. And actually the place I got dinner was like a fusion Mexican-Korean place. So that made me think of it. But also I'm in a D&D campaign right now where one of our players just got a cookbook that's all supposed to be D&D recipes and the other got like a drink mixing book that's all like kind of fantasy themed. <laughs> and that led to the discussion of apparently there's nothing in like canonically in D&D there's nothing spicier than paprika which I take umbrage with personally. Yeah, that sounds like the cultural baggage of its early 70s white dude yeah. designers. That makes sense, yeah. Also, I'm playing a tiefling and they would just be breathing fire on everything to make it spicier. <laughs> Uh, my my first thought when I saw this idea was like when you, like when you try to make you know I'm trying to replicate exactly a Big Mac at home, or like I'm I'm trying to like uh like make McDonald's style food even if it's not something from their menu just here's a new thing in the style of the fish fillet yeah right yeah and you're doing McDonald's fanfic I love like, it yeah you can also choose to do that with better restaurants but. <laughs> 
No, I mean, but, but I feel like I've heard of I've heard about this. Uh, I've I've intersected with this very briefly on the internet before. Is like people sometimes people will do like the most authentic recreation of the Big Mac possible. And so I think there's like recipes and stuff out there, but also like doing the the most high end schmancy gastro science, whatever sort of like recreation of the Big Mac or whatever. Yeah, like that hundred dollar cheesesteak, which is kind of like I mean, that's actually kind of like Lichtenstein taking mm. comic panels from the 50s and like turning them into like these, you know, avant garde works of fine art. Kind of, a, I mean, in that case, it's sort of, it gets into the whole fine art world mess of like appropriating, of high art appropriating low art. But in the case of food, it's probably, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. I guess if there was a chef who became like really well known by making a Big Mac for rich people, then <laughs> that could kind of be the same thing. But I would have to imagine replicating a Big Mac is pretty hard, almost certainly harder than, you know, make, just making a good burger that of any kind. Because it's so specific. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so many specifics of it. Like, and particularly, it's been like decades I, I since like I've had the, a Big Mac. The quality and the processing that the meat goes through. Yeah, that seems like the weirdest part. Taking ground substance home from a grocery store and turning it into a sandwich is very different than what like a Burger King or like a McDonald's or fast food yeah, yeah. patty goes yeah. through yeah, in its life cycle. If you have if yeah, if you have, if you have store bought ground beef, you're already like worlds away from the hellish, you know, reality that produces <laughs> McDonald's well, patties. Like I feel like it's it's kind of remarkable how consistent it is like across mm-hmm. seasons. Sure, yeah, cuz it's you know, it's mass produced in a way that is like it's a super repeatable cheap process with super known inputs that just if we're allowed to tangent here that reminded me i was watching like a documentary on the tabasco factory and how they like source out their seeds to like four or five different countries and then the peppers get shipped back to them and they blend them all and like mix them so that the each bottle of hot sauce tastes uniform, even though it's grown all over. Yeah, that's right. That was that was that was a cool documentary. Yeah, it was like Tabasco sauce is produced in uh, I forget the name of the town. It's this town in like southwestern kind of Louisiana. It seemed like a pretty remote place. And yeah, they grow they grow a bunch of peppers there, but then they also grow peppers in like Madagascar and a bunch maybe- of. Places in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, and maybe sure. like and maybe like, like a place in, in the America. southern yeah, in South America. And anyway, yeah, so right, they have all these different things and like those are pretty different variables, even though it's the same seeds. Yeah, they have like the um, herb field locally in Louisiana, and then they pick like the top one percent of peppers from that year yeah. to propagate the seeds and yeah, send those yeah. to they fields sort of, across the world. Yeah, so they're definitely like when you do that sort of stuff with humans, I guess it's eugenics, but it's like the kind mm. of plant cultivation or whatever that humans have been doing for untold thousands of years basically like this banana tastes the best out of all these so i'm going to allow it to reproduce uniform flavors there's a weird science to them (laughs) uh are we we ready for another topic sure sure jp your topic is the most unexpected cd to be launched from the face of the cenobite from hellraiser 3 that launches cds out of his face so last night I I did some I was doing some research on this because as we all know topic lords involves intense preparation. I put that topic in the topic bucket a, a long you know like months ago 
uh, just because I was thinking of it at the time. And then I went back to it and I was like, you know, it's been so long. Like it's been like 13 years or something probably since I've seen Hellraiser 3. And I remembered like, so yeah, God, how to unpack all this, how to explain Cenobites to uh, Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) Yeah. So in the Hellraiser movies, the Cenobites are like these like demonic humanoids with a completely like bizarre nightmarish appearance and they have like gashes on their bodies or like they're covered in like leather kind of quasi bondage gear type stuff and they have like and you know and the signature one pinhead has pins in his face torture elementals aren't they yeah they're basically like these like immortal beings of like pure suffering or whatever you know because that's the whole hellraiser they all have a little bit of a transporter accident aesthetic going on yeah it's yeah. A, yeah like it's partly like you know sort of body horror kind of stuff as well anyway in hellraiser 3 when they're like starting to like really scrape the barrel these this new round of cenobites gets created at like a dance club i think and there's like these ordinary humans who get like turned into cenobites i don't know how that works or whatever you know whatever they just they they had to make a third hellraiser and this is these are the the thoughts that you turn to <laughs> and so, yeah, like one guy like has a camera embedded in his head and another guy is like a bartender. So he like breathes fire on people from like a shaker. Anyway, the DJ who is like playing CDs because it's the 90s has like CDs. He's a CD themed Cenobite, a compact disc themed Cenobite. Yeah. By the way, compact discs were these flat <laughs> objects that were used to store music and other information anyway um so yeah cd cenobite had like he had like cds kind of like embedded in his head kind of you know like they were sort of like these fins and then he had like this sort of slit for a mouth and for whatever reason my memory so the premise of that that topic that i put down is partly a false premise because he never launches cds out of his mouth oh he has a as the as the hellraiser wiki explains he has a a, disp- a CD dispenser in his stomach, which he produces CDs from and then throws them like shurikens that sometimes explode and sometimes just embed in like a cop's skull, depending on which is cooler at the moment, I think. Right. So, yeah, I am completely full of crap there. CD, No CDs are launched out of that guy's face, as far as I can tell. However, I mean, I guess I can go ahead and answer the question having also thought about like, yeah, if CDs were coming out of this guy's face, what would be the most unexpected for me? And I think everybody, you know, this is a personal question and everybody has their own opinions on this, I think. But for me, I'm going to say it's a tie between uh, super tramps breakfast in America and uh, hello kitty, big fun deluxe uh, CD ROM for windows 3.1 and uh, Mac OS eight, I guess. It was a hybrid CD. But yeah, those two, I would say, if either of those two came out of his face, I would be equally surprised. So let's just get this out of the way and say that the the most expected CD would be uh, an AOL installer Thank CD. You. Yes. yes, same page. Right, yeah. I mean, It'd just like, oh, <laughs> statistically. I finally understand probabilistically. why they're everywhere. This guy gets around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he, like he's actually the delivery guy for, for all of these, like... He rolls into a Best Buy and just like launches like a stack of 500 of these. Yeah, that's an eight-hour workday. By the register, yeah, he's putting in the he's putting in the work. Uh, so when I was in high school, I had this CD, the CDR that a friend of mine had written, burned, I guess is the word, full of demo scene stuff. 
and like written on Sharpie on it was somebody else's name. And at some point I spilled Mountain Dew on it and it became unreadable. And I thought it was just like, I need to clean it better. But I think it, the, the, the phosphic acid in the Mountain Dew actually ate away at the... Oh, yeah. Whatever stores the material. Oh, layer. Yeah. I think that would be the most unexpected CD for me. Yeah. For him to launch at me. Yeah, right. Yeah. It would be kind of like, given that it was a CD that was killed by Mountain Dew... I feel like there is a certain like <laughs> yeah, it went to hell. Hellraiser '90s kind of aesthetic, you know, coherence there. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I, I really was thinking the AOL. <laughs> yeah, trial yeah, yeah. <laughs> Parasite yeah, Eve disc like, two. No, Xenogears disc two. Okay, okay, yeah, that would be yeah. How many discs did Xenogears have? I think it had two because it had a little bit of a rushed production hell situation like it was like real good game by my standards at the time on the first disc and then you get to the second discs and it's like remember save points forget those we don't have them anymore just sit tight for three (laughs) hours and read this dialogue because that's what we had done when this game shipped that's what it felt like if you worked on that game i feel for you if you worked on any game (laughs) i feel for you (laughs) <laughs> I feel like an unexpected disc might be Xenogears, Xenogears Disc 3. Yeah. Yeah. But then they made all the... Like, I think Xenogears is in Smash now. <laughs> Xenogears, Xenogears Disc 3 is in Smash. Xenogears got all its bonus discs later. I would say if a GameCube, if a Nintendo GameCube, like, mm. small disc yeah, came out... Disc. Came out of... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's his like pre-evolved Pokemon form where he just launches those and then he becomes the big boy. I remember there being, um, you know how CD trays had like a smaller indentation for putting in smaller discs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for a while. There was a thing to make like novelty di- CD shapes. Yeah. I feel like the, the multimedia company that I worked for at the time had like this service where we would print CDs that are cut to be to fit in like your business card holder. Yeah, I remember those. So you could put your portfolio on them. Yeah, I don't think I ever actually like used one as in like put it into my CD drive and access the data on it. Right. Well, and the the reason you don't want to do that it turns out is that at the higher spin speeds those discs are more likely to to destroy your drive. Yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even know if they would work in like a slot loading drive. Mm-mm. Yeah, that I know would be that bad. Uh, Nintendo had to do like a little bit of R and D to make it for, for the slot loading drive on the Wii. They had to do yeah, some. To they had to do those. some work to make it so that yeah, it would it would accept GameCube discs and regular size DVDs and stuff with equal ease. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's got to be uh, it's got to be non trivial. Yeah, there's probably a YouTube video of somebody destroying a slot loading CD drive by putting a business card weirdo shaped CD in there. Hopefully they're recording it and also making music. Yeah. That's right. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, my topic is I got a mandolin slicer for Christmas from someone who was afraid to use it, and I am also afraid to use it. Oh, no. Are you, great. are you familiar with this piece of equipment? Yes. I love them. I yeah. learned about it in grad school, I guess, like in my 20s. I used one for the first time, and I was like, what have I been doing all my life? Slicing things by hand like a chump when I can do it in 10 (laughs) seconds. 
Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like an element of trusting yourself, not to slice yourself. But I think the ones I've used have like like a little shield, yeah, like little something guard, you yeah. like push into yeah. the other side of whatever veg is being processed, and then like you don't get past the guard if you're holding it correctly. But they also make yeah. like they make like finger shields for just regular knife skill type things and i feel like if you were really trying to work your comfort level up to using one you could put on one of those and hold the mandolin also is it one like do you put it on the counter or is it like a handheld mandolin oh my god you could just like a like a keytar yeah that'd be, that'd be amazing no this is a i actually this is a got one of those one. recently because tiny apartment and it's great yeah that's intense but it does feel a little bit like freestyling Right, yeah. But yeah, I highly endorse the mandolin. It It's a great tool once you're comfortable with it. Yeah, it seems very efficient. It seems like... But I'm also just afraid to have sharp knives in the kitchen too. Like, it doesn't matter how efficient they are. Like, if... That's your I'll, brain I'll take trying my... to protect you. Yeah. Now we're burning through these. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Uh, so for this topic, we're going to be watching the music video of Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. at one quarter speed. All right. Delightful. Just so that we make sure that we're like watching the same video, uh, the YouTube hash I'm looking at is FE93. Is that the one that you're looking at? Yep. Okay. Yep. We're we're at the same one, and we're Ray Parker Jr. Vivo. Uh, I'll count down from three and we play on zero. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Okay. And we're off. Yeah. So that's Grand just door. a, that's just a, right out of the gate. That's just a great spooky house. Is it under yeah. the freeway? Yes. Yeah. This looks like a set to me. Like this wasn't. Oh, oh I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And it's got that kind of like, I mean, like. Hand painted mats. I, I I have no idea if this is like just an actual theatrical set, and that's like, and the the background of like the New York skyline there is like one to one scale. But it it, it right. reminds me, at the very least, of some of the like incredible mats that like you know ILM mat painters mm-hmm. and stuff would do for like you know Lucasfilm movies and stuff like that. Right. My gut yeah. tells me this is a set specifically for the music video, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I was wondering that because, like, this is one of those music videos that has clips from the movie in it. Mm-hmm. But, but then some remember. wild interiors as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's half, it's half, or I, I don't know the proportion, but yeah. Like, they, they clearly invented some stuff that's sort of inspired by the movie or just that they thought would be cool. Including this neon stuff that is now appearing behind, I guess the video's protagonist. Yeah, it's ghost furniture. Yeah, that's it's a good look. I yeah. like it. Oh yeah, it's, it's kind of trony. Yeah, like ghost rug. Yeah. It's kind of like Tron, and it's kind of like uh, the like Le- LeChuck's ship at the end of Monkey Island. Oh yeah, yeah, the ghost ship. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to see here ghosts we're ghosts totally ghosts the ghosts here are just <sighs> people in t-shirts and here he is here's the man ray parker jr yeah 
I couldn't res- we, we couldn't resist watching uh, Neil Cicerega's Bustin yeah. uh, beforehand. Oh, that's very good. As well, which is just an incredible, you know, tribute to this song. Makes me feel good. And to Ray Parker Jr. in this video. She's like, oh, Ray Parker Jr., I was expecting you. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the kids show up to say Ghostbusters. Do you think that's his kids, maybe? That would be awesome if it that was. That would be awesome. It's like, hey, kids. Who knows? Dad's got to do a music yeah. video. You want to be in it? Come it's for this. Work. It's for this movie called Ghostbusters. It's probably going to be cool. Love it. Oh man, yeah. And what's going on here? He's like, he's telekinesing the. Uh, yeah, the furniture is being pulled in. Yeah, and I always wonder, like, yeah, like you know, what kind of like low tech, you know, inventiveness. Okay. Yeah, it's just some fishing line. And here's this dude tied to the furniture. <laughs> yeah, we have a random, random it's dude like, popping right, sorry, up. Sorry, wrong music video. Um, yeah, like because that could just be on wheels, and it's being pulled by like a fishing line or something. If it, you know, like this period of like the '80s, I always assume that there's just some some like clever practical effect. All right, and then right, we have our now first. We're in the movie, now we have the log lady uh, apparently from Twin Peaks as a librarian. <laughs> right. Is the log lady canonically not a librarian? Yeah. It's a good microphone. Yep, yep. And we've got like the... Yeah, so they're just jumping all around. I, I'm pretty sure Roy, Ray Parker Jr. was standing in front of the city when like beams of Zool energy were like flying out. That's right. the that's the gargoyle that Rick Moranis turns oh, into yeah. or something. Ghostbusters doing doing the walk. Yeah, so I think this is the movie set. Ray Parker Jr. is skeptical I'm right now. I'm afraid no ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you are, but I am not. Yeah, he's not. He's clearly not. I am a man of the world. Got a nice two-shot joke there where Egon blinds Venkman with his, uh, with his forehead lamp. <laughs> Yep, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis. Slimer. Slimer, yeah. There was that, uh, there was a, there was a think piece in like Jacobin or whatever about, that was just like totally straight faced about Slimer versus like whatever new ghost they invented for the new one. The sad blue Slimer. Yeah, yeah, it's like a blue, (laughs) yeah, I the details of it are not fresh in my mind, but it, and it's just using it as like a lens to talk about the different, the sort of socio-cultural, psychological differences between the the mid '80s. Hey, it's Chevy Chase. That's right. They got like a bunch of like celebrities to just show up and say Ghostbusters. <laughs> we have a different person in a bed. Invisible man. Yeah, it's clearly the Invisible Man doing that. Invisible Man is like, sorry, this is my bed. This is awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Parker Jr., we've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's also his bed. Wait, who's that? She looks familiar. I didn't recognize her. It's funny how... 
you would expect the shots from the movie to look better than the shots that were like from the for the video that was clearly shot on video. Yeah, yeah, but no. But I think they maybe just pointed a video camera at a VHS a, copy. It's it's quite possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or even even just like uh, you know in the theater maybe. Yeah. Yeah. A projection. Yeah. Yeah, but it does have like this secondhand kind of sourcing look to it. Especially because I think like later in this video they have like all of the actors come back in costume and they're just dancing in the streets in New York, which is clearly like not film. Yeah. And it's filmed for the, for the video. Yeah. And it lo- yeah, it has a different right. like grain to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bill Murray. This needed to be. Being the quirky guy. That's the establishing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And they're, they're in the library. There's there's a really good in uh, in Neil Cesariga's Bustin video. Um, there's a really good part where it it's the it's one of the first times that it goes into like the 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 sort of refrain of Bustin Bustin, and he's just like milking the like minor key mm-hmm. you know sort of Brit or I I don't know like you know bridge or chorus or I, I don't know what it is structurally, and it's um it's it's superimposed it's edited to the part of the video when uh the yeah these three guys are going through the library through down like these tight like library shelf corridors and it's just one continuous shot and the camera's like in front of them as they go down it and it turns like twice it's it's a really really good synergy between like the mm-hmm. music and the and the and the and the original movie i don't know yeah like it's that's really cool yeah it's a it's a it's a thing of yeah it's a thing of beauty but yes also yeah, it's kind of like I mean that that video is kind of Beautiful. like it's taking some of the the awesome. Okay, it's John Candy <laughs> taking some of like the awesomeness. You know, it's like this tribute to both the song and to this video, kind of you know, and then just and and the movie, obviously. Um, I don't know. It's good. I like the it when stairs. I like it when pop culture sort of stuff is like creating something new out of you know. Yeah, and Neil Cesariga is just so good at that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like that's what he was doing. Like, he was homeschooled, supposedly. And I think that's what he was learning how to do instead of anything yeah, else. Yeah, he was just learning Adobe Premiere and, uh, you know. I mean, it would have <laughs> yeah. been Flash, Flash back and, in the day. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was doing, like, those Flash animations from from way back. Whoa. So is this woman, like, the same woman that we saw coming into yes. to the apartment at She's the beginning? She's being yeah, terrorized so. in her home. yeah. Is Ray Parker Jr. supposed to be a ghost in this video? Is that why he's not well, afraid well, of this? He was early on because yeah. he faded in from the wall. He's definitely engaging. He's becoming in, more in powerful and haunting like behavior. Yeah. 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 This like the classic <laughs> haunt. I... Yeah, he's doing bleh hands. Bleh. It's like, you know, vampires like they'll just kind of put up their hands like that and be like, bleh. <laughs> Yeah, and I like when they do this thing where they like composite, you know, film stuff into the, uh, you know, into the video. Like, I'm guessing that also is has an impact on the the quality of that compositing. Right. Yeah, I wonder if the people we don't recognize were like celebrities that didn't make it out of the '80s. <laughs> they didn't make it. They didn't. Yeah. They looked back and turned into a, a pillar of salt or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah. I am the same age as Ghostbusters, so if someone was like extremely contemporary with it, I have no memory of them. Right. Parker Parker Jr.'s mannerisms there are uh, are just really good. Absolutely. Ow. Have you seen the video that's just a series of people saying something like, you could visit three or four stores or just one, and then doing a pose? I have not, and I'm immediately skeptical. Doing doing what pose? It just They each do their own pose. They make one up. That sounds vaguely familiar. Because that's what that's what the, all the people saying Ghostbusters remind me yeah, of. They, yeah, because they're like framed and yeah, they're all like, okay, you every one of you has to say Ghostbusters and then do a weird dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly the the direction was act scared, act like you've seen a ghost. Yeah, right. That's a pretty good ghost. Yeah, yeah, not bad. That's more of a ghoul. Oh man! Classic Slimer with Iconic. the hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ray Parker Jr. as if he's, he's like, like yes, feeling I appreciate it. it. He's like, I'm so glad they got <sighs> that smiler art. shot in there. Yeah. He's just got like two dozen freaking little number one on little my cocktail weenies yeah. in his craw there. I always like it. Like I, I appreciate because so many of these shots are just contextless. I always appreciate it when like, oh, here's four shots in a row that all are related to each other. And yeah. not especially like plot centric. Like when ghost stuff is happening, sure. But when they're just like running through the office in a hurried manner, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's clearly just to kind of like serve the overall kinetic moment of the video sort of, you know, but it is yeah. pretty random. It's I, I don't imagine they would do it nowadays like it did. I mean, music videos don't generally feature music from the film anyway, or like footage from the film anyway. I think it's, yeah. I feel like that's considered kind of a cheesy 80s or 90s thing. I feel like if it's a movie with cars in it, like prominently featuring cars, then yes, but otherwise oh, no. Oh, okay. Interesting. Oh yeah, he just faded out there. Yeah, he's like this is this is definitely a haunting. <laughs> this is some very aggressive body language. Yeah. All right, she's finally standing up for herself. She's going to run to the phone and call. Right. Yeah, she knows that she's the she, neighbors. It's nope, clear looks fine at this point that she's got a ghost problem, a Ray Parker Jr. ghost problem. All right, he's he's reached bargaining. Yeah, he's, he's like, like well, we can work this out. It's cool. I can haunt your place. I'm and a ghost. Be cool about it. That phone is outstanding. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Why don't here I own comes. that tank top? Here he comes with okay. the okay. So the story here is clearly that like Ghostbusters sent Ray Parker Jr. to this haunting to create more, create a new client. Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, he, and here they are, the, the colluders. They've got yes. a nice little racket going. This is our marketing campaign. <laughs> this is the only way. Oh, my gosh. Wait, who is that baby. guy? I know that guy. 
Is that Vincent Schiavelli? Yeah, I think it is. He's just younger and still doesn't have much hair, but... It's Norm from Cheers. (laughs) I forget the actor's name, but yeah. Yeah. And Vincent Schiavelli is a great character actor. You see him everywhere and and he never like... As far as I know, it never gets a big role, but he's a very uh, recognizable face. Who's that guy? Is that oh, is that um, Al Franken? Yes. Back from uh, like his Saturday Night Live days? Very young. Damn, yeah. He looks like 22. Wild. Man, this was, this was, this was 1984, right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, man. Everybody's a baby. I mean, Dan Aykroyd looks like a baby there, you know? I don't think that's Vincent Schiavelli from earlier. I think that's Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. All right. Danny DeVito. Yep. Pigeons. Or ghosts. And yeah, they're just in Times Square. Just A weirdly deserted Times Square. Don't recognize her. I do. I just... My brain does not like to hold on to names. They're like, we're in this video intentionally. Oh, Peter Falk. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Ghostbusters. Yeah, a Ghostbusters Columbo crossover yeah. episode. And he's doing like the would be outstanding. Yeah, he's like one more thing. See, there's yeah, there's just there's just this one thing I just don't understand. You know, the ghost, an invisible man sleeping in your bed. <laughs> See, that just that just gets me. You know, <laughs> man, I remember seeing situation. I remember being a little kid. All right, there's Chevy Chase again. Oh, he's doing. The- He's doing the cigarette trick. Oh, man. Yeah, he's... In slow motion. Yeah, uh, Chevy Chase doing the cigarette trick that features prominently in an episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, You get to really appreciate the Spectracolor Ghostbusters Yeah, that's like a good-ass, like, 80s baseball stadium kind of Mm -hmm. thing. All right, and there we are. Yeah, and that's it. We did the whole thing. Yeah. I can't believe we ate the whole thing. (laughs) All those hot dogs. Keep keeping it eighties, yeah. Keeping it slimy. <laughs> I, I I would I would guess that Slimer can believe he ate the whole thing. Yeah, Slimer's ready for more. Slimer's extremely credulous. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Believe it, we live in a time of wonders. Of course I ate the whole thing. <laughs> uh are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Yes. Uh, JP, your topic is oldest food you've eaten, i.e. oldest substance or object you've consumed. Yeah, I don't have... I am sure that I have eaten old things, many old things in my time. I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, I, like, got sick and, like, my throat hurt. And, like, I needed... You know, it wasn't COVID, thank God. But um, we still had, like, some from some cough drops lying around. Or, no, I had, like, the halls, like, the, oh. the crap, the, like, menthol cherry halls. And I must have, like, had those from, like a much earlier incidence of like being sick, like years and years ago. I wouldn't be surprised if those were like seven or eight years old or something, but you know, like my throat hurt and like nothing quite like helps it the way for, for me, at least the way that, so yeah, I have probably eaten very old cough drops. 
you know, which is not a food per se. And they taste nasty anyway, so I wasn't like, oh, these cough drops are clearly bad. They're past the the full bouquet of their of their best flavor you know it's just like who cares my throat hurts i'm miserable you know but yeah that's that's off the top of my head but i'm sure i've eaten i mean i guess if you get into like wine and stuff yeah that was my first thought like i don't know what the oldest whiskey i've had a shot of was because like no one gives me their good whiskey because i'm not going to enjoy it (laughs) but probably i've had some that was like 20 years old? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's not uncommon for, for whiskey. Yeah, I feel like it's harder if you go food because, like, you know, there are far fewer foods that, like, maintain their integrity. Yeah. If I ever have someone with a philosophy degree on this show, oh, I, you know, I have. Next time I have someone with a philosophy on the degree on the show, I'm going to ask them if cough drops are a food. I technically <laughs> have a philosophy degree. Cough drops have calories. I don't think they're like, <laughs> nutritionally significant, but they are yeah. food. Like if I were trapped in my car with a ball, like with like a bag of cough drops, I would eat them. And then be you'd, you'd starve slightly later. Exactly, it would keep me going. I wonder how many of my guests secretly have a philosophy degree. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot. I feel like this show attracts those people. <laughs> mine, mine was an accident too. I like it was not what I went to school for. I just took so many electives that all were in the same department that it qualified me for one by the end. And like my advisor was like, you know, you have this degree, right? I was like, but I'm not done. (laughs) I I really like the idea that like you accidentally took all the classes required and then like it just showed up in the mail and you're like, holy shit. (laughs) What a thing. But yeah, it was just like all of the like where I went to school, all of the like, linguistics classes all of the actual like what you would think of as philosophy classes anything about religion anything about artificial intelligence some of the robotics and math classes were all considered philosophy any political right. science some of that was philosophy so it just like added up way quicker than i realized that's neat that's a <laughs> that's a fun side effect of going to college you get this degree out of it so when I lived in Florida, I'm pretty sure I ate both shark and alligator. Mm. And I think those are two species that have been mostly unchanged for millions of years. That's a fair take. Mm. Okay, so right. So like a a creature that has existed for a very long time. But then I feel like you could say the same thing of like many shellfish. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the evolutionary history of those respective creatures are. And yeah, for plant-based, you know, foods, I, I would guess that there, I mean, you know, humans have modified the heck out of all kinds of like fruits and vegetables and stuff that we eat. But I'm guessing that there's something out there that like is just kind of like how, you know. But also like preserves, like anything like pickled or like a jam that's been stored well, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. anything in a cellar. I was thinking about like any time I hear about, like, they found a shipwreck and there was, like, an urn or an amphora of, like, wine that was still good, like, I always wish... From, like, ancient Greece? Yeah, or, like, we, we yeah. found this bog and there was, like, a perfectly per- preserved cheese wheel down in there. Or it was, uh, there, was, there was a thing of butter in one... <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they, found, they found butter in one of the bogs and it was, like, preserved. And I, I don't know if people ate it, but... Yeah. But yeah, anytime I hear one of those stories, I, I desperately want to consume yeah. the food. I have to imagine, like, if they kept that butter, like, if they put it in a refrigerator for storage, 
at the very least, like somebody's going to like just take a little bit and try it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then some like, and then it's just slowly going to deteriorate. Oh, it, it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that like the, the probably a pretty widely circulated story is like when, when they started like, you know, basically like raiding the, the Egyptian tombs of the pharaohs and stuff. Right. They found those, they found those jars with uh, honey in them. It was just perfectly preserved, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like honey will basically just keep, like, yeah. Yeah, you, honey has a you, very low water content, so it's yeah, stable yeah, in like yeah. most. So you can put it in an alabaster jar for yeah. three thousand years, and it's still edible. So yeah, I would, yeah. I would totally be curious to try several thousand year old honey. The other thing that I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard of people trying to do, but I'm not sure if they succeeded, is eating like frozen mammoth meat. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, that would be like I remember I remember having read that someone had successfully done it, but then when I looked for it most recently, I found uh, an article about how they tried to cook it and it just kind of turned into a black goo. I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz it's like, I mean, yeah, I have to assume that molecularly it's been it's been to hell and back. Yeah, I feel like you're better off like right. trying to get a sample of like the muscle tissue if there's any left and then like reverse biohacking that and like just making a mimic of the meat, like making lab meat. Just yeah, Jurassic if you just, Park it. If you just yeah. Jurassic Park a mammoth back into existence, you're not I'm eating not old go food that far. really, sure. but but that's yeah. going back to the yeah. the gator and shark and shellfish. Yeah. I think is a valid take on this question. Yeah, what's the oldest genetically coherent? Yeah, the the other thing I can think of with regards to like oldest food you've eaten is uh, you know, the YouTube channel. I haven't we haven't checked it in a long, in oh, a yeah. while, but Steve nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, Steve nineteen eighty nine. One of the first videos that that he did that we saw was um he had so Steve nineteen eighty nine is a YouTube guy who um. He collects and reviews on camera uh, old military rations. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's like the super expert on it. So he'll get like Korean Army 1993 ready to eat self-warming ration or whatever. Or he'll get like a U.S. Army 2014. And I think he's part of like a larger community that is just into this. So like yeah, yeah. They just will like, like trade food and yeah. make sure he's got like the best examples to have on channel. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking at this guy's videos uploaded. There's one from 1902. Yep. Yeah. And so apparently like one of the first videos that we saw from him was he found like a, or like, you know, he won an auction. I think this is all getting like traded on like eBay and stuff. Um, it was it was a Civil War hardtack mm-hmm. biscuit. Oh yeah, I see that one. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So that is a truly that is a very old yeah, if you can't if you don't have access to like the Egyptian honey jars, Civil War is pretty good for you know, for extremely right. old. eBay, right I'm going to eBay right now. Civil War hardtack. Yeah. But yeah. I also feel like I I just enjoy his channel a lot because he has like clearly also deeply appreciates food and even when something's like really rancid he's really upbeat about it he's like oh it's kind of tangy he is a pretty even if it's like you're mixing tang it's like delightful yeah he he has he has a pretty he has a pretty good descriptive you know foodie vocabulary and he'll talk about you know just all the complexities of the taste 
And yeah, he's also an expert, like, because he has like, to be... the different ways things have gone bad. Yeah, the like, The different when, ways food can spoil. Like, when you're opening up one of those little, like, kind of vacuum-sealed packets, if you hear a hiss, Mm-mm. then that means that... <laughs> that means that there's botulism in it or whatever, you know? Like, basically, something has been multiplying in there and creating CO2 or whatever the hell. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, so most of the results are for a book called Hardtack and Coffee... That's probably make your own. That's going back to our first topic. Right. Uh, But here is one that says, this is the remains of a hardtack cracker dug Civil War relic. And the photo looks like a pile of rocks, but (laughs) it might be a cracker or might have been a cracker once. (laughs) Yeah, you would definitely need your tricorder to determine whether it was ever food. Right. Is this mostly carbon? (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I, I, this is now going to be a quest of mine is to get a, yes. get hard tack from the civil war. <laughs> All right. When you do, yeah, buy some of those future episodes, buy some of those rocks and get them That's out right. of the tray. And, uh, those rocks are super old. I could eat one of those and then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget if he actually successfully managed to eat any. I'm pretty sure he did. But it was like, you know. I think he had to dunk it in the water. Yeah, he had to soften the, it up the bed, and the stuff. Coffee, yeah. Maybe. yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Oh, there are so many of these. This is, this is good Welcome viewing, to I this bet. World. I guess there's also like, yeah, he, he plugs like, there, I think there's like a forum and like, you know, there's a couple of places where like the enthusiasts of these MREs trade and, you know, communicate and all that. But yeah, just, you know, the YouTube channel where he's just this chill dude, just. Talking about, yeah. you know, funky things. Appreciating, not just talking. I wonder if these would be a good uh, quarter speed communal viewing. <laughs> just Some of them are on the long side, but I think yeah, I think there are segments like that you could really like, yeah, some, hone in on. Some of the videos are definitely like 30 minutes or something where he just like does this very extensive, you know, like it. the MRE has like a bunch of different stuff in it. And he'll just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yes, please. Steiger, your topic is, do pigeons love nacho cheese? <laughs> so this is like born out of just random observations of mine where I will see, first of all, like San Francisco has quite a lot of pigeons. Like I've lived in many major metro areas, but like San Francisco is the most pigeon dense of all of them. Yeah, for sure. And we mm-hmm. live in like a pretty, like, there's a pretty good gathering spot of pigeons, like, right on our block. So I, I observe pigeon behavior pretty frequently. And I feel like the times that I've seen them, like, doing the most, like, taking the largest risk, and I'm like, what is that pigeon doing? What could possibly be worth it? it it's always ended in either, like, a cheese puff. Or like a Cheeto or or like <laughs> one time literally just like one of those like plastic container cups like full of nacho cheese. And I'm just wondering like I know that pigeons are tetrachromats so like is that color just like the most beautiful color in existence to them and like we're wow, not capable yeah. of seeing it but they're like that is everything it's that just, I want in my it's life. magical. I have to have yeah. it. Yeah. They don't even want to eat it. They want to make a nest out of the nacho cheese. Yeah, maybe. Oh. Yeah, but like I like, just want to know what's going through their minds when they go, when they're clearly yeah. like willing to stake their life to get to this. I wouldn't have guessed that nacho cheese, you know, is is like compatible with their diet. You know, 
Yeah, like it They're does seem like it's very high oil and probably high salt, and I don't know that either of those are great for pigeons. I also don't know if they're like, gotta make crop milk. Nacho cheese is most right. of the way there. <laughs> crop milk. I learned about crop milk on this show. Oh, yeah, there uh-huh. you go. It sure exists. It's, it sure does. Not for long if the nacho cheese has anything to say about it. But yeah, I want to know what a not what like a cheese puff looks like to a pigeon. I just imagine it being beautiful. Yeah, I remember reading, and I don't remember if like I think this was a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Reading that there might be a few women in the world who are tetrachromats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too. Yeah, and I think um, it's more likely in families where the the men in the family have color blindness. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like this weird kind of like genetic leapfrogging sort of thing where a trait like, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's like the women who have been recorded as like having this kind of color sensitivity are like in Ireland or something. Mm. Oh, so this you think this might be actually documented somewhere? Yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't. I didn't read up on this recently or anything. But yeah, like yeah. yeah so I'm just really curious as to how it works. Like, do any of these folks paint and? What do they see and what are their, you know, recorded experiences and observations and stuff? Do you think they have nacho cheese in Ireland? <laughs> oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's an import, but it is a but it is a pub food, right? And I think so they, they certainly oh, yeah, good have point. They're a source of yellow cheeses to be sure. Yeah. I yeah, think a, even some of like the original making cheese yellow technology is from that part of the world. <laughs> when I say technology, I mean like marigolds and hmm. such. But yeah, but what I was getting at was, um, you could ask if you could track down one of these women. You could ask them, like, what do you see? Yeah, you could show them just some classic bright orange movie theater nacho cheese, and be like, "What does this? Yeah, what is this to you?" I mean, I, I'm guessing though that like, because so as I understand it, tetrachromacy is just like. Just because one species, just because like human tetrachromacy, I'm guessing doesn't have anything to do with like bird tetrachromacy. Oh, it's probably four different colors. Yeah, good yeah, point. It's like different rods. It's different sensitivity. Tones. Yeah, right. It's having like different rods that can sense different frequencies of light. So I would guess that you know birds. I mean, you know, all the all the wild coloration and stuff like that that birds have. Like, I'm guessing that bird vision like varies super dramatically. You know, and raptors have, like, that telescopic vision so that they can see prey, like, from, like, a half mile away and stuff. So I'm guessing that the diversity of, like, what's going on with their eyes and stuff and, you know, pigeons just being a random point on that, like, yeah, who knows. But it certainly seems like the kind of thing you could experiment around. I don't know. Yeah. So you know how you get photos from NASA and it turns out they're, like... Color-corrected... They've recolored like this is this is this wasn't in the visible spectrum originally. They've recolored <laughs> yes. it to yeah, be totally. something that humans can appreciate. Uh, what we need is like uh, someone to do uh, like take a spectroscope and do an artist's conception of what pigeons see. Yes. Yeah. When they look at nacho cheese. This yeah. Is yeah. My yeah. House. Yeah. And then show it to one of the tetrachromat women. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I used to like, I used to teach college physics and we would do those spectrographs as like frequently as like our labs. 
And whenever I was calibrating, I always saw more spectral lines than my boss did. Huh. And I know I do have, like, I, I've been in, not, not on, like, an internet quiz, but, like, I've done a few studies where it does seem like I have above average color vision. Like, I think I'm just more, like, I don't necessarily think I am a tetrachromat or whatever, but, like, I do think I notice differences in colors regardless of, like, screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think people, yeah, just have, like, there's a diversity of color sensitivity and, you know over and above just like the specific mutations that produce color blindness or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's the world's tiniest superpower. (laughs) Colors are great. I'm a fan. I like them too. Are we ready for another topic? Yes. So my topic is here's an alphabetical list of every move in every Mario game from 1000 fold arms in paper Mario, the origami King to zero laser super smash brothers brawl. Uh, and my, I have two questions here. One is, how would you fix this list? And B, <laughs> who wants to do a podcast series where we rank them all? I'm in. Have, yes. you, have, you, have you had a chance to look at this URL? Well, yeah, we're, we, we've got it no, open here. Okay, that's what this I, is. I haven't, like, peru- we haven't perused it extensively. but um, I feel like I would need to play all of these games before I could like, certainly... reasonably partake of... Yeah. podcast but well I, I figure you know the, the the episodes i'm imagining would be like three minutes long and you would just like look at the wiki description of them and just decide which one's better yeah baby toss oh so is it like tournament style and then at the end you get to the top two right yeah you do like uh do a quick sort or something <laughs> yeah acrobatic banana there are a lot of bananas belly blast beast ganon there's just so many body slams, body yeah, checks. Several body slams. So I bet the banana moves are all Donkey, Donkey Kong, Kong moves. Yes. Yeah. Flutter dunk. Fun and run. Green fire shot. That's from Mario Hoops 3 on 3, which I had forgotten existed. Like, I'm aware of the existence of, like, almost all of these games. I've played, I don't know, maybe like a third of them. I'm not like a huge Mario guy or anything. I've kind of just played the most, many of the most visible ones. I don't know if I have a... It's almost impossible to grow up in America without having played a bunch of Mario games. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, this is this is deep. I mean, just in general, I just enjoy anytime, like on Wikipedia, they'll have those list of pages. Yeah. Where it'll just be like list of soups. And it'll just be, like, a list of, like, soups from, like, you know, dozens and dozens of different cuisines around the world and stuff. But simultaneously, you know it's not even close to being oh, yeah, like a no, full it's, list. It's yeah, just like, absolutely not. But it is, like, a you know, but it, they tend to be impressive. And it's just, you know, it's they're, they're typically very fun to look through. And, and, yeah, when they're long enough like this, it's almost like I almost want to, like, make a Twitter bot or something for them where it's, like... All right, a soup, soup a soup a day. This is the or you could have like soup week on versus bot. Yeah, yeah. Triangle trample. Mm, that sounds uncomfortable. Wizard's foot. Willy wisp. Wizard's, yeah, wizard's foot, foot sounds like a cramp. Yeah, if you've been sitting at your wizard's desk for too long, you get wizard's foot. Wait, it's Ganon's. It's a Ganon move. Th- there are several moves so on here just... that I'm noticing like from Smash in particular that are clearly 
originating from other characters. Yeah, they're non-Mario characters. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this is not these were these are just in Mario games. They're not Mario moves. Yeah, they're all Mario right. adjacent. Well, Smash counts. I feel like we need to sort out all of the Smash moves. All of all of the moves that are performed by non-Mario yeah. characters yes. in Smash games. Well, and I think that would be a big step. Like, for example, there is a um also drift as a move from Super Mario Kart. Sure. Right. It's the move. There's a um I forget what game it is, but there's another there's a game on this it's like Donkey Kong Jungle Beat or something like that that has a separate page for its list of moves. There's like 20 of them there. It's not that many. Uh and I think what happened there was like one wiki user was like this this would be better if it was separated by game. I'm just going to start and then they just did the one and was like, okay, I'm tired this is now. The only one I care <laughs> yeah. About. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wikis, fan wikis oh. do frequently take the shape of of fan patience. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I think that, like, so one of my questions was like, how would you fix this list? I think that would be a huge step, would be organizing it either by character or by game instead of alphabetically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, organized by character, that's my... That's my first. Yeah, because this is just kind of mind numbing to look at. I mean, it's, you know, it's impressive in the way that like, you know, a 5000 Lego set is impressive, but also just like. And yeah, like this wants to be like a spreadsheet, not a list, but I understand we're like a table. It's a table. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Like a normalized database table. Please normalize it. (laughs) And the other thing is that like there's a. so this is something that someone pointed out to me on Twitter. There's a move called Nice Shot, which is just like a text that pops up when you do especially well in Mario Golf. Yeah, nice yeah. That's a stretch. Yeah. A nice shot is a common event. Yeah, so is the player doing that as like a is it a move? It's like saying that jump. Yeah. Is just a... jump on this list. <laughs> Jump is on the list. Jump is from Donkey yeah, Kong. Yeah, jump as a move you can do in Donkey Kong. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Just the Mario That's Wiki true. page for jump is like, yes, in all of these games, Mario jumps. But this is the first game. Yeah, also, are they listed by, like, the first game in which this action occurs? Or, all right, is this I think just... probably, yeah. But, yeah, on the jump page, there's just... On the jump page, there's just a list of all the games Mario can jump in. Yes. <laughs> I think that does seem to so, be what it is. Is there a game that Mario can't jump in? My first guess would be Mario is Missing, the sort of weird, like, it was oh, like a PC yeah. game from, like, the turn of the 90s. Was that the, like, it was licensed, I think. style? Yeah, yeah, it was a Carmen Sandiego type game. And it was, yeah, it was just like a weird... Like Nintendo trying out like licensing to PC developers. What if Mario basically. but edutainment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that Mario is missing is on this is on this wiki. So Mario is missing is not mentioned on the jump page. Yeah, yeah. Which could mean it's not there, or it could mean no one's gotten around uh, writing about the jump and Mario is missing yet. Yeah. Note to self. Yeah, <laughs> gotta fix this page. They should definitely have on. Uh, Every one of these move pages, all the games, list all the Mario games where you can't do that move. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. That's there you're getting into database like access. Yeah. I feel like that's how you get to the second table. That's like smash only moves. And then. Yeah. 
I think that would help a lot. Yeah, that's right. Mario is missing is also also has the the very weird distinction of like taking place on planet Earth. San Francisco, which is why San Francisco is a page on the Mario wiki. San Francisco is a city in California <laughs> located just... on the west coast of the United States of America. Yeah. <laughs> Rome, Beijing, Nairobi, and Moscow, also cities. Yeah, Golden Gate Bridge exists in the Mario multiverse, I guess. Because sure, you know, I mean, if like when Luigi shows him a cable car that the troopas stole from Sugarloaf Mountain, which, you know, in Rio de Janeiro, he says, San Francisco doesn't seem quite so far when I look at that cable car. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Man, and yeah, like the the like the Mario style overworld, but it's a map of San Francisco is very weird to look at. Yeah, like the north half. Weird but good. You know what's not weird though is when they created japan in one of the uh, overworld style levels in mario 3 oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah because japan is also a foreign land a magical foreign land that i've never been to <laughs> and that makes me wonder like how did the people in japan feel about that right yeah mm-hmm. i don't know i mean you know mario is at least like a homegrown thing there so it's you know Okay, so yeah, the page for Japan on the Mario Wiki is, yeah, there are multiple occurrences of Japan. It's in the Locations on Earth section, which includes <laughs> oh, wow. a lot. Wow. Only five continents make the cut wet, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Antarctica doesn't exist in the Mario version of Earth. Damn, yeah. There's so many implications. Now I really, not not because this would make the world a better place, but just I'd like to peek into an alternate reality where Mario Odyssey, instead of having super fictionalized versions of all their locations, just had very uh, realistic places that Mario visited. Like this is just, this is actually just a three block square of New York City. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I I would buy that deal. Yeah. He goes to Cancun. He goes to, uh, you know, Kathmandu, San Francisco, you know, etc. The moon. That'd be amazing. I mean, the closest thing, like, you definitely get a little bit of that with, like, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, interesting. Like, Flags. Mario and Sonic at the at the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo has the extremely strange distinction of being, like, a fictional Olympics that did not actually take <laughs> place. So, yeah, I mean, that's one thing is, yeah, like, COVID didn't happen in... Uh, in, uh, in the Mario universe, in, in the Mario version, did I hallucinate of Earth. this? Didn't wasn't ESPN running like automated, like com- computer versus computer, like NBA NBA Two K games? I would believe that one of the ESPN network like channels yeah. did that. Yeah, I think my dad was telling me about that, and I think they did it for like they they definitely did it for basketball, and they might even have have done it for like football. Like they they had two Madden CPU teams. Playing against one another, yeah, just weird stuff. I was just thinking that would be a good way to they could they could broadcast the Mario Olympics to sate the hunger of people who are who are missing the real. Olympics. Yeah, you just really want to watch the Olympics on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can have CPU versus CPU matches in that in that game, but yeah, you could you could figure it out. You could have uh, you could have the actual competitors come in and play their sports. That would be yep entertaining. Yep. I would be entertained. Uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords tonight. All yeah. right. 
uh, Steiger, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am not. I I really, truly have fallen off the internet. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good move. It's... Yeah, no, I would I would do that too if I didn't need to be on it there for my job. Yeah. Uh, and JP, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I don't know if it's something that I want, but I do have a website, uh, vectorpoem.com, and that has links to you know various web presences. But yeah, but don't contact me. God no. <laughs> thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.